You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1134 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Friday evening. And today's episode is brought to you by Truebill. Truebill is a new app that saves you money by helping you identify and stop paying for the subscriptions that you don't want or don't need. And it can even negotiate better deals on those subscriptions that you want to keep. Today's podcast will break down what became a loss for the Hawks at home, 113-105 to against the Brooklyn Nets. An interesting game in a lot of ways, uh, known for the most part for a fourth quarter issue for the Hawks. Um, but honestly, one of the biggest games the Hawks have had on the schedule this thus far, ESPN game, national TV, all that fun stuff, and a pretty competitive, entertaining game for three-plus quarters. And then the Hawks uh, actually led by 11 points after the halftime break at one point, but the fourth quarter did not go in their direction. The offense kind of cratered a little bit, as has happened a few times this season. We'll come back to that later on on the podcast. But um, the sky's not falling. I'll get, I'll get into the, <laughs> sort of into why in a second, but uh, I definitely felt some frustration from Hawks fans on this evening, and I totally get it. High-profile pro- high game, Friday night, um, you know, back and forth, back and forth, and then sort of a, a late collapse, and that can be maybe the most frustrating way to lose a basketball game. But big picture, uh, it's not the best loss in the world, but at the same time, you lost to, to a very good team. Uh, yes, it was at home, but it was competitive. It was back and forth, and we'll get into sort of the nuance of this game as we always do on the podcast. Please subscribe, by the way, if you're a new listener to the show, and make us, make us your first listen each and every day. That's sort of the Locked On Network's mandate, and we really appreciate all of the support. Subscribe, rate, review, and tell your friends. All right, get into the game now in terms of the pregame stuff. Um, I will say quickly, just very quickly here, um, College Park actually won a game on Thursday, which is kind of interesting. Um, but more, moreover, the most important thing there is that Onyeka Kongbu ended up playing in that game. He's not quite back in Atlanta just yet, but he actually played very well in the G League. Had 10 points, 15 rebounds, 2 blocks, 2 steals in 24 minutes with College Park. He looked very good to me in what I saw. Um, limited time, but still what I saw was uh, was good. And McMillan talked about his conditioning being kind of the main hurdle right now, but he's getting close, it seems like. The Hawks haven't been playing a lot of 5-on-5 five five in practice because of the long grind of the schedule, but he's not quite back yet. But obviously it's a pretty good sign there. And then actually Jalen Sharif, Jalen Shar- Johnson and Sharif Cooper had good games as well on Thursday in the G League. I say all that to say none of those guys were available in this game. And in addition to that, the Hawks were still without Bogdanovich, and Hunter, and then, of course, Solomon Hill being out for the year. So the Hawks had 11 active players in this game, but one of them was Cam Reddish, who actually was listed as probable after missing a few games with his wrist injury. He told Sarah Spencer earlier in the day that he was, that he was planning on playing, ended up playing for the first time since November 27th, so you know, about two weeks on the shelf for Cam. I thought the whole ga- the whole time he was going to come off the bench, and that is what ended up happening. McMillan kind of talked about keeping him in that same role. He's been big into that. I know Hawks fans don't like it, but it's one of those things where McMillan's been very consistent about his messaging on that one, and they like Reddish off the bench. And he came off the bench in this game. We'll talk about the way he played in a second, but good to have him back as an option for Atlanta. Um, on the Nets side, nothing major in terms of new injuries, but they are without Joe Harris and Kyrie Irving, two of their you know best five players. Of course, Kyrie being a star, so interesting stuff there. I will say, I got a lot of questions about the Hawks being favored in this game, and they were. At tip-off, the Hawks were minus two, so two-point favorites at BetOnline.ag, our sponsors on the podcast today. And it didn't surprise me, but I, I sort of get why the confusion was there. I will say to this, the biggest thing is that the Hawks were at home in this game, and that you know usually gives you at least a couple points. Um, and you know the Nets are good. The Nets are better than the Hawks in the standings, all that fun stuff. But they are not quite the same team 
particularly on offense without Kyrie and Joe Harris. Um, their offense has actually been pretty average this year, which is crazy because last year they were number one in the league by a pretty wide margin in offensive rating. This year they're kind of like middle of the pack and their defense has been much better. And if you go through the rosters, and we won't do a ton of this, this is not a Nets podcast, but the Nets honestly play a lot of defensive talent right now uh, in addition to the offensive guys who you know run the show with Kevin Durant and James Harden to a lesser extent Patty Mills. Everybody else is kind of a defense first player and kind of a weird um, slugfest kind of game for a lot of this game. Not the whole way, but a lot of this game as a result of all that. All right, with that out of the way, we'll sort of get into the game itself now. Um, I thought it was interesting that old pal DeAndre Bembry ended up guarding Trey Young for the most part uh, in this game. Um, it was TLC guarding Kevin Durant for the Hawks at the outset. Uh, he ended up starting in place of, you know, you know his, I think it was fifth straight start for TLC in this game. They had Herder on Harden and Collins guarding Bembry at the outset, which is kind of an interesting matchup considering Bembry used to play point guard at times with this Hawks team a few years ago. Um I will just say, TLC did a pretty good job on Kevin Durant in this game. Uh, you're never going to stop Durant by any means, and he had 31 points, but I thought TLC did, did a pretty credible job on him. He is big, he is physical, and played with Kevin Durant last year also in Brooklyn. TLC was playing in the rotation for the Nets at times last season, so uh, that was a good idea, I thought, he, and he did, again, a pretty credible job on him throughout the game. Um, the largest lead of the entire first half in this game was the first push from the Hawks. It was 10-2 to at the outset. The Hawks up by eight points as a result, and uh, two threes by Kevin Herter in the early going. Capella hit a floater and a Collins big dunk, and the Hawks made their first four shots to go up by, up by eight points. But from there, things slowed down, I would say, considerably. The Hawks missed 11 of their next 12 shots for Brooklyn to take the lead. Trey was 0-5. It was a 14-2 overall run by Brooklyn, and the Hawks scored two points in about six and a half minutes in the first quarter. So hot start, kind of created from there. And then honestly, the theme for the rest of the game until the fourth quarter was kind of just like back and forth, back and forth. Um, they broke out of it a little bit after that. Um, rotationally, it was the exact same rotation in both halves. So I'm only going to talk about it once, but it was Gallinari first in for Capella. Then it was Cam Reddish in sort of the backup wing role. Then they came back to Capella, but alongside Lou Williams and DeLon Wright, and Capella came back in at center. So they basically played Young, Herter, and Collins the first like nine or ten minutes of both halves and then sat them all for the most part and then brought them all back together. Uh, interesting stuff there, and we'll get into kind of the, the pushback that I, I, saw, I saw some fans frustrated with the rotation in the fourth quarter tonight, but I think it's more results-based than anything else. Um, Capella had a couple dunks in the uh, first quarter of this game. Um, by the way, I guess a good time to plug this. I talked to a good friend of the podcast, Tower Jones, on Thursday evening about all kinds of Hawk stuff, including Capella and finishing around the rim. And that's a fun conversation that definitely still holds up. So if you missed that one, I would encourage you to listen to that. Tower's always fun to talk to, and uh, people always like when we talk on the podcast. So that's going to be uh, still in your feed from yesterday. Alas, um, sort of a slugfest. In the first quarter overall, it was tied uh, kind of fittingly. Both teams not scoring uh, more than a point, per, a point per possession, which is uh, pretty low scoring, obviously, in the current environment. The Hawks uh, didn't shoot very well. Uh, it was kind of a wild ride to get there. You know, hot start, brutal middle, and then sort of a hotter finish from Atlanta. And only four guys out of the nine who played for the Hawks in the first quarter ended up scoring. Kind of interesting there. Uh, the Nets actually shot very well. That was kind of the theme of the first three quarters. Uh, the Nets were shooting better than the Hawks, but the Hawks were doing everything else better than the Nets, basically. Um, and that was definitely the case in the first quarter. The Nets shot 65, 65% from the floor in the first quarter, with, but um, didn't lead because they couldn't make anything in terms of they only didn't have a single three or a free throw, and they had five turnovers. So that kind of advantage Hawks on the margins there. In the second quarter, 
it was uh, more of the same in terms of like kind of plotting not terrible offense, but definitely not the most exciting offensive performance on either side. The Nets um, actually opened one of nine from the floor in the second quarter, and uh, the Hawks did go to a briefly lineup um, that actually both halves of. Trey Young, Lou Williams, and, and Danilo Gallon are already playing together, and I just don't think there's any reason to ever play that lineup. Those guys cannot defend the three of them together. Um, it didn't last too long, but I don't like that under any circumstances, basically. Um, largely back and forth, though, the rest of the way, there was one weird play where James Johnson of the Nets wrapped up John Collins and kind of raised his hand for a foul all in one motion, and the Hawks did not like that very much. I know Collins didn't. He was kind of jarring, ba- uh, sorry, jarring back and forth and with Johnson. Worth noting that those guys actually are from the same college. They both played at Wake Forest. Um, but that was kind of a weird play. I thought it was. It probably should have been reviewed on some level. I'm not sure if it was a ta- uh, flagrant for sure, but it, uh, you know, definitely probably deserved a review in my mind. Um, Durant hit a couple of preposterous shots as he's wont to do, and kind of a floater range left um, begging for both sides in the first half. Um, Kevin Herter had a late three to put the Hawks up by three points at the half. That was kind of the difference in the margin. And the Hawks, again, did not shoot it well in the first half. But they got to the line 13 times, only one for the Nets. Yes, one attempt. And they had the edge of the offensive glass and the turnover, bat- turnover battle for the Hawks, all on the margins. Uh, Young, Herter, and Collins all scored double figures, and, Ke- and Capella had eight points and nine rebounds. But the bench was a little bit of a non-factor outside of, of Gallinari in the first half. Um, defensively, the Nets, again, shot it better than the Hawks did, but turned the ball over 10 times, and uh, the Hawks won the math game, basically. The Nets were 23 of 39 on twos in the first half, which is a very, very high rate, But and uh, they still couldn't be efficient because the Hawks did everything else well. So it's one of the shot profile arguments that we talked about with Tyler yesterday, but the Nets um, you know, did shoot it well from two-point range in this game, but uh, it wasn't quite enough to like make him you know, go crazy on offense until the fourth quarter, which we'll come back to in a moment. But first, before we get to all of the stuff that transpired, and most of it's not super fun to talk about in the second half, before we get to that, it worked from our sponsors on the show today, and the first of which is Truebill. Do you know why free trials renew without your consent? It's a business scam that's out to get you. Don't let corporate greed pocket your money. Instead, download Truebill to take control of your subscriptions. Truebill is the new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions that you don't need, don't want, or simply forgot about. On average, people can save $720 a year with Truebill, and because companies make subscriptions hard to cancel, Truebill makes it incredibly simple. Just link your accounts, and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap. Your Truebill concierge is there right with you when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions so you don't have to. And Truebill is awesome for someone like me who has a ton of subscriptions across the landscape. Sports makes it so I have to keep a wide swath of information. It's really, really valuable to have Truebill to make sure that I don't get bamboozled. Truebill has over 2 million users and it's helped them save over $100 million. Don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. Go right now to Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. It could save you thousands per year. Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. All right, we'll dive into the second half now. And the third quarter was certainly the offensive extravaganza of the night on both sides. Um, the Hawks scored 15 points in about four minutes at the outset of the third quarter. They were moving the ball well, good energy, good uh, sort of you know, ball movement and player movement and uh, effectiveness overall. Capella had a huge block at the rim, ran the floor well for a dunk in transition. Troy got to do his spots really well in the third quarter for the most part. They had a 10-2 run in the middle of the third quarter to go up by 11 points. That was their largest lead of the night, and I will put a pin on that now because that was largely the Hawks would ever have. And, uh, you know, I guess they blew that lead, quote-unquote. Herter had a three at that point in time. Uh, He actually had four threes in the middle of the third quarter, and the Nets at that stage of the game had only two for the night. So Herter had double the threes of the entire Nets roster with like six six minutes to go in the third quarter. 
Um, kind of crazy there. Now, the Nets did find it after that timeout. They scored the next seven points uh, amid some turnovers by the Hawks. There was a truly bizarre play. Um, I'm not even sure how to describe it. Trey Young got called for a, a violation in the backcourt for punching the ball. Um, when he was starting his dribble with nobody around, uh, you know, you're not allowed to punch the basketball. Um, but in general, I would say this might have been a violation, like, litter of the law-wise, but no times really do you ever see that call in the backcourt. You know, you see a lot of, like, loose interpretations of what's allowed in the backcourt when guys are not being guarded. It's, it's the NBA. There's no reason to, like, be a stickler about that. But it was a very strange call. Ended up being a turnover and kind of led, or at least helped Brooklyn to put together a run because the Nets scored 12 points in, like, 80 seconds at that point. And the defense uh, let down a little bit for the Hawks, and McMillan was pretty frustrated by all of that call timeout. And, uh, by the way, Trey was poking fun of that call. He was having some pretty exaggerated dribbles in the next possession. I don't blame him. That was a, definitely a strange call, particularly for a, for a star to get called for that. Is, uh pretty staggering. I don't know if it's uh, a point of emphasis or something like that, but it was a very, very weird play overall. Um, again, rotationally, the exact same in the first half, so we won't go into that again. Offensively, on both sides, it was very, very good. A lot of whistles, though, in that quarter. That helps the offense. Obviously, things are being called tighter in the third quarter. Cam Thomas, the rookie from, from Brooklyn, hit a couple of threes late. And then Gallo, though, hit a, hit a three, the last shot of the quarter, to put the Hawks back up by two. So um, while the defense was not good in the third quarter, they did not give up a lot of points. So actually only lost the quarter by one point because they scored 36 points offensively in the third quarter. Um, 50% from the floor, 50% from three, and eight of nine at the line from the Hawks in the third with six offensive rebounds, they were awesome in that period on offense. Um, they just couldn't stop the Nets either, so it's kind of uh, giving it a little bit back. Both teams were in the low 100s in offensive rating at the half, like a 102, 103, 104, something like that range. By the end of the third quarter, they were back up to like 120. So they, you know, for the third quarter, both teams scored like well over 140, basically, in terms of offensive ratings. That was uh, pretty staggering in that stretch. Uh, the fourth quarter was, of course, not very good for the Hawks. They scored 14 points. And given that they scored 36 points in the third, it was, uh, let's just say, night and day. Um, a bad turnover in the backcourt early in the fourth quarter by Clint Capella. That led to two points for Brooklyn. Um, former UGA product, Nick Claxton, had a couple of big dunks. And uh, John Collins said after the game, and I think he's right about this, that Claxton kind of changed the energy for Brooklyn. He did not play much, maybe not even at all, in the first half, but was uh, very, very good down the stretch for the Nets. Um, they came back to Young and Collins with about nine minutes to go. They were still winning at that stage, which is worth pointing out. Um, but still, they uh, kind of, I would say, mismanaged that a little bit. They actually left Lou Williams in for a possession defensively and then called a timeout um, with Herter at the table. I'm not sure what the plan was there, but it was kind of a bungle in that you don't want Lou to play defense in extra possession if you can help it. Uh, it didn't burn them. They actually didn't give a point on, on that, but kind of just a process fail on a small, small scale from the Hawks. Um, the second unit, though, really, really struggled at that stretch, and when the offense of the first unit came back in, it kind of just didn't, couldn't find it either, but I will say, basically, Gallo kind of carried the, the second unit offense in the first half, and the second half, they had, kind of had nobody carrying it for the most part. They got very, very little from the trio of Lou Williams, Cam Reddish, and Delon Wright in this game, which we'll come back to later on, but that was kind of the problem with the second unit offense. The starters were back in full um, within like a few minutes of that, but it was tied with about eight and a half minutes to go in this game. I'll put a pin in that now. It was tied then. Then it was an 8-0 run by the Nets. The biggest stretch of the game for the Hawks in terms of uh, the bad times was this stretch, in my opinion, that 8-0 run. The Hawks had six consecutive empty possessions on offense. They missed three, three shots in a row, then a back-to-back turnovers, then another missed shot. Um, they scored four points in the first seven minutes of the fourth quarter, and they were 2-12 of shooting at that point in time. So, obviously, it was a full-quarter fail 
for the Hawks in this game, but uh, that definitely was the biggest stretch of, um, of negativity, we'll say, in the entire contest. Um, they did respond after a timeout. They scored the next seven points. Capella made a layup and then a couple of uh, Trey, Buck- Trey Young buckets in a row. His only, his only points in the fourth quarter came in that stretch. So you got it back, and uh, the Hawks were only down by one. Uh, then a pretty big swing after the Nets score to go back up by three. Durant blocked a Trey Young layup in transition. Nice play by Kevin Durant. He's obviously you know, enormous. Made a nice play there. Then the Hawks could have had a couple of uh, opportunities to put the put the, uh, the ball back in after the block. TLC famously kind of missed the layup there. That was the second one of the, of the game where it was not like a, a standstill open layup, but kind of a weird over-the-head kind of shot. And he's not exactly a high-level finisher, as we've seen. Um Obviously, you got to make that shot. You're you're a pro. Uh, you're a pro wing. You can't make, you can't miss a layup there. But it happened twice in the game. That was the, obviously the bigger time. And then Durant hit a pull up in transition. So the Hawks go from down eight to down one, and then down five. And that that four point swing in the uh, middle stage of the fourth quarter was definitely pretty brutal. A double technical foul was then called by uh, on Kevin Durant and Trey Young. A lot was made about that. You know, those guys are just talkers, and there seems to be. I think even Trey got a question after the game about if, if all was well there. Like, look, I mean, I can't imagine there, there wouldn't be. Uh, I didn't take much from that at all. There's those guys being competitive, and they talk, they like to talk for sure. Um, from there, though, they got some free throws. Trey actually split a pair of free throws. They were down by four at that point. And then from there, it was kind of, you know, four, six, four, six, four, six for a while. Trey missed a runner at the rim. They did force a miss. Um, that actually ended up being a long rebound to Claxton, who they ran some more time down. They actually didn't score that possession. The Nets didn't, but the time was the biggest factor there. Uh, then Trey, after after a score, uh, sorry, after a stop, Trey misses a floater. Just had that was the weirdest play of the whole stretch. I think is that he had this floater that he makes almost all the time. It just kind of rimmed out on him, and that was basically it. Honestly, they had a foul. Durant made both, and then they got a nice lob to Collins for a quick two when they kind of had to have it, and then they fouled again though, and then Trey Trey turned it over, and that was kind of the end of that. So. I think the game was basically over when Trey missed that floater, but it was a full fourth quarter of a mess for Atlanta. We'll get into the fourth quarter now before we turn it over to some more broad takeaways. But the fourth quarter, 6-22 from the floor, um, 1 of 8 from 3 in the fourth quarter with 6 turnovers. They scored 14 points in the period. That was obviously dreadful. Um, They had as many points in the fourth quarter as the duo of Durant and Harden had, only, only those two guys. For the Nets. And it actually wasn't as if the Nets scored at a high level. The Nets only scored 24 points in the fourth quarter. If you tell me, again, this is one of my favorite things to say, but if I tell you that the Hawks are up to going to the fourth at home and they hold the Nets to 24 points, they become a big favorite to win. And they lost by eight points. So that tells you how bad the offense was in the fourth. A lot of frustration about this. Obviously, we'll save some of this for later, but the Hawks have had really, really bad numbers in the fourth quarter this season. On the whole, um, yes, that is not like a foolproof thing. They've had some good fourth quarters. It's not as if they didn't have any good fourth quarters th- this season. But um, after tonight's game, the Hawks are um, minus 6.7 net rating in the fourth quarter this season. That is 26 in the league. So there's some noise in there. There's some blowouts in there. There's some other stuff like that. So it's not just that. Like, for instance, there was at least one game in which the Hawks were up like 40 at the end of the third quarter and it didn't kind of matter. But I can kind of... I would say more than one hand, at least at least a full hand. The opportunities that the Hawks have had to uh, win some win some of these close games that they've kind of squandered in the fourth quarters. Nate got a question about fourth quarter struggles this season. Didn't really like that one. Kind of pointed to the overall not being as bad as that. I think the numbers are not good on the fourth quarter. Um, again, there's some noise involved, but I think that the fourth quarter has been a an issue on some level. 
it's been a lot of different stuff. I got a lot of questions about this, you know, tonight and even earlier this week and about four quarters. I would say it's a lot of things. Uh, one of them is that Trey Young struggled in the fourth quarter for the entire season. He's now shooting 38% from the floor and about 20% from three in the fourth quarter this year. Um, again, don't hear me wrong. Trey Young has been fantastic this season. He's been playing at an all-NBA level. But they basically have to have him be awesome in the fourth quarter because of how much they rely on him when he comes back in the game. And also the second unit has kind of struggled at times. And you, you, what, what's happened in the last few of these is that the, they've kind of dug a hole with the second unit where they just couldn't score for a while. And the starters have to come in a little bit earlier than they probably want to and try to stop the bleeding, and they haven't been able to find it. Um, is there process issues? Probably, yes. Um, but I think it's more like a little bit of noise at this point in time. You know, last year, famously, they were dreadful in the fourth quarter for half the season and then incredible in the fourth quarter under Nate McMillan. And yes, he gets credit for that, but it was still like outlier bad early in the year and outlier good late in the year. Like no one could have told you that like all of that was just coaching in the fourth quarter. They had to, they obviously had to make plays and guys made shots and all that stuff. And then this year, Nate's not done anything terribly differently. It's just that they're not executing at the same level. So there's some noise. It's small sample size, but that's where we're on the fourth quarters. Um, the last thing before we get to a break is that, uh, you know, TLC wasn't popular in terms of playing the fourth quarter. My point would be, who else do you want to play? And, um, you know, Cam Reddish was not very good in this game. Uh, Gallinari at least had some offense going, but you can't really play him at three and have him guard anybody on the nets. Um, DeLon Wright wasn't particularly good in this game. They don't have options right now. You know, obviously, if they had Bogey um, available in this game and they were closing with TLC, it would have been questionable for sure. And yes, TLC missed a big layoff at a big time. But uh, I don't know who you want to play. It's just kind of the wing. This is why the wing injuries matter is that um, you don't have the uh, options. And yeah, maybe maybe in a, in a week when Kane is back to 100% and more in condition, you might put him in there. But for tonight, I had no issues playing TLC there. He just did, he just did not execute very well, obviously, in the fourth quarter. All right, before we get to some broad takeaways from tonight's game and some individual player analysis before we get out of here, a word from our sponsors on the podcast today, and the first of which is Built Bar. This holiday season, grab the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar or even better than a candy bar, and that is Built Bar. It's filled with so much holiday goodness, rich with decadent flavor, covered in chocolate, but amazingly low in calories, sugar, net carbs, and fat, and it's high in protein. You get the best of both worlds. It's delicious, and it's healthy. With so many flavors, you'll have a hard time choosing. Well, you have raspberry, mint brownie, cherry, or double chocolate, cookies and cream, or peanut butter brownie. There are so many different options with Built Bar. Built Bar gives you that extra fuel that you need to bust down those mall doors and battle all the extra holiday shoppers that are out and about. So if you're just standing in endless shopping lots, Built Bar can give you all that extra something that helps you keep going. Throw one in your jacket or your purse. You never know when you're going to need it. And because it's the season of peace and love, do not bring up your favorite Bilbo flavors at family parties because people are so passionate about their favorite flavors, they'll fight you for it and things can get even out of hand. If you're friends with Santa, we'll tell Santa to throw a few Bilt Bars in the stockings this year and with so many flavors that make anyone's Christmas morning a happy one. And if you like some of the marshmallowy treats around the holidays, you need to get your hands on Bilt Bar Puffs. They're light, fluffy, and marshmallowy through and through. Different flavors, all covered in chocolate, and they taste so good, you won't believe that they're filled with protein. Finally, if you want something to cozy up to with something warm as a holiday secret, you can dip Built Bar into a piping hot cup of cocoa, let it melt a little, give your beverage a nice Built Bar flavor, plus you'll have that nice melty Built Bar to go with it. Be sure to have a couple napkins on hand. And with all of that said, you go to Built.com, use the promo code LOCKED15, and get 15% off your order with Built Bar. Yes, that's promo code LOCKED15, 15% off at Built.com. Today's podcast is also brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Football season continues, and the march to the playoffs is here, and BetOnline has you covered all season long for more props, odds, and lines than ever before. 
But online remains your number one spot for all the sports action this season. And you can head to our new updated desktop and mobile website to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's 50% extra cash and a welcome bonus on your first deposit if you use the promo code Locked On to receive that bonus. One more time, that is promo code Locked On to receive that welcome bonus from BetOnline.ag. With basketball, football, NHL, boxing, UFC, golf, tennis, auto racing, and much, much more, in addition to your favorite Vegas casino games, do not wait to take advantage of this amazing offer and all of the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports. And one more time, a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit if you use the promo code LOCKEDON to receive that bonus. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, and we'll get to some takeaways here before we get to the players. Offensively, obviously a tale of two different kind of games for the Hawks. Through three quarters, they had an offensive rating that was close to 120, and when they were playing quite well on the whole. Yet a lot of that was the third quarter. If you remove the third quarter, the numbers are pretty stark and pretty ugly, but uh, the fourth quarter brought things down. Um, they shot under 50% true shooting in the game, which is clearly not what you want in any contest. 39% from the floor, 32% from three. Um, McMillan talked about switching defenses from the Nets, giving them issues in this game. I would agree with that. He talked about how they got forced into some isolation stuff and didn't succeed against that kind of switching defense. Uh, talked about some settling in the fourth quarter, which I would certainly agree with. Part of that's just missing shots. Part of that is also some um, not great process and not to adjust to that. Obviously, you know, it would help if they had their guys on the perimeter other than Trey. But they do have some issues with with switching, just because they don't. They kind of only have one guy that really, really is excels as, as sort of attacking um, in isolation, and that's Trey. And everybody else is kind of reliant on playmaking elsewhere. Um, they shot 7 of 22 from floater range in the game, which is very bad, even on a, a pretty tough shot in some ways. And then they were 8 of 28 on non-paint twos overall. So some noise there, but obviously a bad, bad shooting night in that range. A lot of that's Trey. There's some, there's some Cam in there. There's some TLC in there. There's all kinds of stuff. Um, but they were not making shots in that range. Um, they did a good job on the offensive glass in this game. They actually won the glass pretty sizably. And that was a positive that kind of gave them some stuff on the margins. But uh, they lost turnover battle overall. Not by a lot, but uh, they kind of gave some of that away in the fourth quarter. 21 assists and 15 turnovers is not the ratio that you want, obviously. And 15 turnovers led directly to 23 points. That's a lot of points off turnovers. That'd be like a lead-leading mark, lead mark, I should say, for the Nets. Um, here's one that we'll come back to in a second. Uh, a combined 0 of 17 shooting from TLC, Reddish, and Wright which is essentially three of your four wings in this game. You know, Wright's not necessarily a wing, but he's playing the wing at the moment. And uh, outside of Kevin Herter, who was good in this game, the other three wings, again, 0 of 17 from the floor. The bench was 7 of 25 overall, and Gallo was 5 of 10 out of that. So the rest of the guys on the bench were 2 of 15. That's not going to get it done. Um, the Nets ended up with about a 112 off the offensive rating in the game, which is nothing insane. That's like a, a little bit better than their season average. I think defensively, this is like a C-minus performance from the Hawks. It was not a bad performance defensively overall. Um, you know, Brooklyn got loose with KD. The only thing that I would say and kind of point out is that uh, a couple, couple of big shots from Cam Thomas in the fourth quarter and second half, and then Bruce Brown they had some issues with throughout the night, but they did, they did a pretty decent job on Harden, pretty decent job on KD. It just didn't uh, couldn't slow everybody else down. And again, that was not the problem. I, I would say this is definitely an offensive loss, especially in the second half. Um, the Nets did shoot 57% on twos and had 66 point, points in the paint. So they got they kind of got where they wanted to go in a lot of ways. But shot profile-wise, and the Nets didn't shoot well from three, and the Hawks did contest pretty well. And um, lots of positives for the defense. Like, not incredible, again. Like, more like a C average-ish kind of performance. 
But the Nets are still pretty good on offense, even without their guy. They're not elite right now on offense, so it's not like you're grading on a huge curve. But I thought it was like a respectable-ish defensive performance, and the offense just kind of let them down in this game. Um, all right, to the players before we get out of here uh, on the last podcast of the week. Uh, the bench, like I said before, was pretty hideous, other than Gallinari, who we'll come back to. Uh, DeLon Wright struggled, did not score, 0-3 from the floor. Three rebounds, a, a an assist for DeLon. Uh, he needs to be more aggressive. Uh, there were a couple of like rec- record scratch kind of plays where he just has to shoot, and he didn't. He was passive in this game. He still made some winning plays, I thought, on the margins and defensively and did little things that he does, but he's got to be more aggressive. He's not, he's not the greatest shooter in the world or the best shot creator in the world, but he's got to be more aggressive and more assertive than he was in this game. Uh, Lou Williams struggled as well, 2-6 from the floor. Did make two uh, two-point two attempts, but was 0-3 from three. Four rebounds, no assists, a steal. Uh, offense kind of bogged down with him on the floor. And the problem with Lou is that he doesn't give you anything else. So if he's not scoring or not creating stuff for other people, his defense is quite bad, and uh, it was he was a pretty big net negative, I thought, in his minutes. Reddish, um, it's good to have him back. That's kind of what I want to leave with here. Uh, Reddish was not you know back to, I, I think, normal in this game in terms of like conditioning. Nate talked about after the game, that Cam hasn't even been able to run a little bit this week because he, he had the flu famously last week. So probably not in the best shape at the moment and also coming off the wrist. So not the greatest position for him to be in in this game. And it kind of showed um, 0-6 from the floor, 0-3 from three, took four free throws, made them all. That's good. Um, two assists, only one turnover. That's probably a good ratio for Cam overall. Um, I think he only really took one shot that I didn't like. You know, he was 0-3 on threes and they were all like, you know, a couple of them were maybe aggressive shots, but not nothing bad. I, I don't think that Cam... Like, his floor game, I don't think, was, like, terrible in this game. A couple of defensive plays that he probably wants back, getting blown by a little bit, but it's it's Kevin Durant. It's James Harden. Like, it's going to be tough. Um, but, you know, process-wise, I think Cam is, you know, was not terrible. He just didn't make shots in this game, and he'll be better. Um, I had, again, I had no issue with closing with TLC instead of Cam. Uh, Cam wasn't good. I know, you know, Cam's the more talented player for sure, but he wasn't giving him anything. I, even when Nate was asked about Cam after the game, he kind of gave, like, a pretty – um, you know, half-hearted answer. Not not in a, not in a bad way for Cam. It wasn't, but I think he kind of thought that Cam was not going to like save the day in this game. Uh, and then Gallinari had a good first half for sure, um, but defensively it's a struggle for sure. He had 13 points, six rebounds, did enough, and kind of keyed the bench and made, made three out of his four threes. But only uh, two of five, only only two of six, I should say, on twos, and cooled off for sure in the second half. So. Uh, one of the options to close with would have been going back to Gallo, but I think it was untenable defensively. They could have, they couldn't have him out there, and um, if they had had you know, sort of a loss of you know, foul trouble or something for Collins or Capella, maybe. But defensively, it's just kind of untenable. But still, he was a guy. He was the best player on the bench, let's just say in this game. But it was uh, sort of a, a wasteland off the bench for Atlanta. Um, to the starters, and we'll start with TLC. He did not score in 31 minutes. 0 of 8 from the floor. 0 of 3 from three. Um, you know. What you want to hear, what I want to see anymore anyway from TLC is more of what happened Monday. Not not necessarily the makes. You obviously want him to shoot seven to fourteen, but it's the three point shooting aggressiveness. And in this game, I don't think you want TLC taking five twos. Honestly, uh, obviously a couple of them were pretty easy layups that he just missed. But I thought defensively he competed, and I think he was better than the shooting numbers indicate. He had five fouls. He was out there like he. It wasn't good by any means. Don't get me wrong. But I think defensively he did his job. Rebounded the ball a little bit. Um, you know move the ball on offense, just could not make shots. And that was the theme for the Hawks in this game. Uh, the other four guys were obviously the big contributors overall in this game. Capella, 14 points, 16 rebounds, two steals, two blocks, and an assist. 7-11 from the floor. I think he only missed one, maybe two, like, bunnies that were frustrating. Um, the finishing was better in this game. He'll take 7-11 all day long. I don't think he was great defensively, but I think he actually did make some plays. There were some long rebounds that were frustrating, but Capella... 
got 16 rebounds in the game. Like he was leading the leading the game by a wide margin in rebounding. So uh, I thought it was a like a B minus game from Clint, maybe a C plus game, but not a bad bad game, not a great game either. I think he did his job for the most part. Had a couple of blunders, but I, th- I don't think he played poorly in the way that there was some pushback. I think on Twitter, and I don't really see that. I think he was okay. Um, John Collins had a solid game across the board: twenty points, six rebounds, three assists, two steals. Did have four fouls and was only one of five from three, but was um, was five of six on twos. Got to the line for ten attempts. Only made seven, but you'll take that all day. And you know, twenty points on about sixteen shooting possessions, seventeen shooting possessions is totally fine. Um, wasn't his most efficient game. But I think I think he made some plays defensively as well. Uh, 38 minutes, that's appropriate. I think he just was good in this game. Uh, the one criticism I saw on Twitter was that he's not the best in like isolation, and that's the thing about John is that if you want to be critical of him, and I, I don't want to be, I think he's been really really good all year long. But his one sort of drawback as your number two is that he's not the best. You know, throw it to him and get out of the way kind of score. He kind of is reliant at least on some level for guys to set him up. He he has some post stuff for sure, some face up stuff, but he's not he's not the best one on one guy. And, and when with the net sw- switching as Nate talked about, he isn't the, like the best guy to beat that. If it's a, if it's a guard, he can post him up for sure, but um, they kind of bogged down a little bit. It wasn't like on him, but he wasn't going to be able to pull them out of it either. Uh, last two guys here. In the backcourt, Kevin Herter, 19 points in 35 minutes with 7-11 from the floor, 5-7 from 3. So obviously he shot it great uh, and I think played well. Two steals, three assists, three rebounds for Kevin. Did a four turnovers. That's probably more than you would want from Herter. Um, I think that he did well defensively on, on Harden. Obviously you're never going to stop Harden, but holding him to 20 points and six turnovers and like kind of getting in his face a little bit was good. I thought it was a good, complete game from Herter. He's obviously, you know, leaps and bounds their best wing right now. Um, we'll see more of that in the future, but I think Herter was a genuine plus in this game. And then Trey Young uh, struggled in some respects, still at 31 and 10. And by the way, this is a crazy stat. Trey became the first player in Hawks franchise history to have five consecutive games with 25 points or more and 10 assists or more. Um, again, first player in franchise history to have five games in a row like that. The last player to do that in the entire NBA was in 2017. Russell Westbrook. So, uh, a rare occurrence. Uh, it was not Trey's best game, but it kind of tells you how how you know how preposterous he's been recently. Thirty-one points, ten assists, seven rebounds, two steals. Did have seven turnovers. That's obviously a lot more than you would want. And he owned that after the game. I will say, kudos to Trey, who said you know in his in his press conference after the game, number one, that he has to make more shots. And number two, they have to stop turning the ball over. And those, those things are true. But not always do you see guys say that play, you know, as plainly as he did. And I think he at least saw that coming uh, in this game. But was 10 of 27 from the floor, 2 of 8 from 3. Got to the line 10 times, but 9 of them. You can't really argue with that at all. Um, but, you know, obviously 8 of 19 on 2s is not what you want. 2 of 8 on 3 is not what you want. And I mentioned it before, but the, the fourth quarter scoring has been a little bit weird for Trey. I think it's just noise. He's obviously not afraid of the moment. He's obviously made a ton of huge shots in his career, had some big fourth quarters. But uh, he's going to have to get better in that area. I think he knows it. So um, was he great by his standards? No, but he still was an engine of, the, of a productive offense in this game when he played. Um, and I think even the on-off stuff, like they were in the negative when he was out there, but a lot of it was the defense as well. So there you go. Um, obviously, you know, it's final, sort of a final thought here. Not the best – night at the office for Atlanta, but in context, this is a single-digit loss to a Nets team that is one of the frontrunners in the Eastern Conference. Um, so they didn't, they didn't get blown out. They didn't, you know, blow a 30-point lead. They blew it, you know, they sort of blew it, I guess they blew it a double-digit lead. There was an 11 in the third quarter, but really it was a pretty narrow back-and-forth game for most of the fourth quarter, and it, it ended badly for sure. The fourth quarter was not good offensively. It was not fun to watch, and it was a slog, but 
Um, is this like a catastrophic loss? It's definitely not. Um, they're 500 now. That's frustrating in a lot of ways. But uh, they'll have a couple more days now to get sort of right again. They have two more days off. Uh, very light week. If you go through the numbers here, the Hawks would have played Monday. Then they don't. Then they play tonight. And now they don't play again until Monday. So uh, two games in seven days is not something you see in the NBA this year with the way schedule is built. But that's what's happened for the Hawks. They return to action on Monday against the Houston Rockets. The Rockets finally lost a game tonight. They actually were, have been on a crazy run. So the Rockets have lost 15 games in a row at one point this year. And then they won seven in a row after that, which is crazy. Um, they lost tonight, so they're not on the same hot streak anymore. But um, Houston is a weird team. The Hawks should be favored in that game, let's just say, comfortably at home. Um, it's not an automatic win by any means, but they are the better team. So we'll see if they can fare um, better in that contest. They'll have some, uh, some prep time, probably at least one full practice um, Saturday or Sunday. And we'll get into that as we get going from there. But please, please, please subscribe to the podcast. Please tell your friends about the show. Please leave us our feedback if you enjoy the podcast as well. You can follow us on Twitter at LockedOnHawks. You can follow me on Twitter at BTRoland if you want all of my ramblings um, during games, before games, after games, etc. And uh, thank you sincerely for listening to the podcast, everybody. Enjoy your weekend. We'll be back again at the beginning of next week.